1: Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy by the Takshashila Institution. I'm delighted to be speaking to Dr. Sriradha Datta, who is a professor at the Jindal School of International Affairs, OP Jindal Global University. Prior to joining Jindal, she was a senior fellow and headed the Neighbourhood Studies Centre of the Vivekananda International Foundation. She's also a non-resident senior fellow with Institute of South Asian Studies, National University of Singapore. Prior to this, she was a director at the Maulana Abdul Kalam Azad Institute of Asian Studies in Kolkata for six years and held fellowships with the Institution for Different Studies and Analysis, among other institutions. Dr. Srirada, it's a delight to have you with us.
0: Thank you, Carl. Always a pleasure to speak with you.
1: Yeah, thanks. Really great to be connecting with you after, after so many years. So I, I was at Vivekananda International Foundation myself. Uh, doing an internship at the time when um, yeah Dr. Sriradha was uh, at the institute. So uh, great to be sort of speaking to you after so long. So the, actually the topic for today's conversation that we'll be having with her would be on the upcoming elections in Bangladesh and why this is probably one of the most crucial elections uh, in, in the country's history. And so she's going to shed some light on how India needs to be sort of looking at uh, the elections as well. But uh, Dr. Sriradha, if I can get started by asking you on you know the historical legacy of the liberation war, right? Because that that still seems to be integral part of how uh, Bangladeshi's think both politically and uh, in other spheres of life. So how do you think the historical legacy has continued to play you know a role in uh, you know sort of in in in, in what Bangladesh has become uh, in today's landscape?
0: Yes, just as you said, even today after fifty two years, Bangladesh is still very very you know. Embroiled with this liberation war, I mean, we all know that in nineteen seventy, when the general elections were held, Awami League and uh, Mujibur Rahman, who won the number of you know maximum number of seats, wasn't given his rightful position. And while there were plenty of differences between the East Wing and the West Wing, but that was really the you know the crux when things took a different turn completely when he wasn't given his legitimate role, which he should have as the head of the state at that point of time. And of course, liberation war happened. And of course, it was a very joyous moment. As you know, East Pakistan had severe cultural differences. And uh, it was on basis of that, the language movement and other political differences that finally Bangladesh was born. The first few years, of course, for any new nation is tumultuous. And Mujibur Rahman similarly faced uh, issues of governance and you know, other, you know, growing, developing infrastructure and things like that. But subsequently, I think the whole political landscape changed with this assassination of Mujibur Rahman, And that completely, I mean, the mm-hmm. whole strife for democracy, freedom, justice was completely stalled with that particular unfortunate incident. Bangladesh had military leaders, subsequently coups, counter-coups. And then we had Zia ur who took over, who was an army chief at that point of time. And then he also built a political party called Bangladesh National Political Party, which is one of the main political party that continues to exist in Bangladesh. Zia rahman was also assassinated, again, a series of political uh, you know, Instability Till Jatio Eshad well, took over Who was Then mm-hmm. Instituted his Jatio party It was yeah. only 1990 When the Entire All the political Parties Which in, in, included BNP Which was then Headed by Khalida Zia Who was uh, Zia Rahman's wife And uh, Sheikh Hasina Who was Mujibur Rahman's Daughter And the entire Civil society Came together Out on the roads And uh, It was finally In 1990 That uh, Jatyo Party leader Ashadhan, who was the president of Bangladesh, stepped down. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, 1991, Bangladesh saw return of multi-party democracy. Elections were held and uh, BNP came to power and for a period of five years, which is their Jatiya Sangsa. But given the deep privileges, which is actually born out again of the liberation struggle, even today they have, you know, severe differences. As I said, despite the passage of fifty-five decades, they, the political parties have not been able to overcome that. There mm-hmm. has been deep hostility and, um, you know, mistrust amongst themselves about uh, how. Uh, party in power is not trusted enough to hold free and fair elections. It is through that process that they have they had institutionalized a system called caretaker government, where essentially the elected government steps down and for three months, a chief advisor, who's basically a technocrat, and all the parties, mm-hmm. uh, the opposition and the ruling party, sit together and decide on 10 names, including the chief advisor, as to who would mm. constitute this particular caretaker government, they right. would then basically oversee free and fair election. So, there was a point of time that BNP wanted it and Awami League was hesitant. There was a point of time when Awami League was certainly rooting for it and BNP was hesitant. But over the course of years, they through a constitutional amendment, Ketika government became a part of the system, and elections were held and widely accepted mm. as free and fair but it was in 2006 when the BNP government was again had completed five year term and they were going to you know get the caretaker government in place again the kind of manipulation that was done by the government at that time which is the BNP coalition government led to a interregnum period of you know 2006 to 2008 when caretaker mm-hmm. government uh, really kind of held Uh, the reins of the you know country at that point of time but also essentially it was the army who was backing them and uh, though on you know as a facade it was of course the chief advisor and has caretaker government but essentially and everybody understood that the army was running the government but also again 2008 December and I also this is Again, quite a unique thing in Bangladesh that at the Bangladesh, the army and the Kertika government together realized that this was not possible. There was a lot of dissonance within the society. whole lot of changes were brought in. And of course, they had a voters list which was drawn up. Many other systems and processes put in place. And 2008 elections were held under a Kertika government. And Awami League came to power with a resounding victory. Now, the whole course changed all over again. Awami League Sheikh Hasina was led by Sheikh Hasina, Prime Minister, who continues to be there as a the Prime Minister. Over the course of years, she then again, through a constitutional amendment, removed the caretaker government, saying that Bangladesh does not need that. So when her, this particular term was complete, get, mm. complete in 2008, the opposition party, which is essentially again led by BNP, said that they will not join the elections if there's no Ketaka government in place. The Mm ruling government, which is our media coalition government, refused to bring that back. And 2008 Mm -hmm. elections, we saw it was completely a single-handed way and, you know, one-sided elections that we largely know. Similarly, Mm -hmm. so they held on again for another five years. Then again in elections in 2014, while opposition had said they would, you know, join, but we somehow realized that things, the kind of, the number of seats that Avami League won was um, pretty much not acceptable. I mean, this almost captured all the 300 seats in the parliament, which is about 280 seats or 282 seats at that point of time. And nobody really knew what happened, but clearly it wasn't a very credible election. So right now, again, when this term is about to be over for, government. Elections are scheduled as of now for January 2024. uh, bnp has said that they will not join the elections if the caretaker government is not in place and other reforms that they asked for this particular government again has said that they will not bring in the caretaker government they are very firm on that so clearly there is again a whole lot of uncertainty uncertainty mm-hmm. and uh, very deep cleavages within the political landscape in bangladesh yeah. about the up- upcoming elections
1: elections mm-hmm that's again <laughs> dr Srirada is probably the, the most you know knowledgeable uh, I would say person in, in the in this field so I would strongly urge you to read uh, her articles this one that she's uh, published with the Telegraph India which I strongly recommend uh, which will give you sort of a background to whatever she has spoken about dr Shiradha, I just wanted to understand what are some of the current challenges and criticisms that have been faced by the Abami League government right in terms of like corruption it could be, Uh, you know, regulatory weaknesses in their foreign policy, for instance. So what are some of those challenges that this government is uh, sort of trying to tackle?
0: So at one level, as you know, Bangladesh, despite what I just described as very deep political uncertainty, over the five decades, it wasn't new. Bangladesh has economically done very well. In fact, Bangladesh has uh, some of Authors across the world had called it one of the rising Asian tigers and all of that. But as of now, just now while we speak, uh, there seems to Mm -hmm. be a huge dip in their economic uh, strength. Uh, There's some, you know, they've also... Received an IMF bailout, which they say was in anticipation of any trouble they might have on forex and other issues. But while Bangladesh, over the last almost 15 years, and under this particular government, has seen tremendous improvement in infrastructure and several other uh, domains, we've also seen, a, because it's also a political, you know, a government which has had absolutely virtually no opposition, there has been, and many criticism about how the government has been run. We often talk about how the lack of separation of powers, which is, in fact, uh, as I said, ironically, in 2008, military government under the caretaker government, alongside the caretaker government, actually tried to institutionalize these organization, independent institutions, which unfortunately, uh, Mm -hmm. right now, uh, many, in fact, describe Bangladesh as a hybrid democracy. And, It's clearly seen that this vertical government is kind of, you know, brooking no other ideas and thoughts other than what it wants to put in place. Mm. And this leader has also held powers very strongly. There's almost many, if you, you know, read any of the... Modern, I mean, uh, recent literature on Bangladesh, you will see how she has been labeled as an authoritarian uh, leader by many, you know, political yeah. scientists and columnist and commentators. So, and there has been a huge introduction of, you know, the Digital Security Act and several others. That's not the only one, which has essentially curbed any other view which is not seen as uh, the government view. Also, as I said, the election hasn't been held free and fair, and there is naturally. And Bangladesh, in fact, ever since 1991, uh, we have seen that both the political parties, I mean, largely it's been Avami coalition, BNP coalition. Jatia has some, you know, in its own constituency, a certain amount of appeal, which has always brought them some seats. But essentially about 40 to 42 percent each political party gathers. And of course, there is in between a Mm -hmm. bit of uh, independent uh, thoughts. So at this point of time, there's huge criticism about the way the government is being run. A, the corruption is huge. And despite the fact that Bangladesh at one point of time was doing so well, there are, of course, reasons pandemic has affected every economy in South Asia and across the world Mm -hmm. and so on. But surprisingly, Bangladesh at that point of time didn't do so badly. The Ukraine-Russian crisis has hit its exports because, as you know, Bangladesh is a very Mm export-oriented country it yeah. ready made garment industry is one of its main you know how it kind of uh, it's, it maintains its uh, huge as i said uh, this gdp and its economic growth rate mm-hmm. which of course has seen a hit but that apart apart from these two main uh, problems within the economy, there has been huge mismanagement, fiscal mismanagement, misgovernance, corruptions, and it's all been very well documented. So it's not something that one is not aware of. So and that there remains at this point of time, as I as I wrote in my Telegraph article, I've just been back from a, a quick visit to Bangladesh. There were some serious differences about how and resonance about this particular government at this point of time just now.
1: Stay tuned to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. Definitely some uh, something to ponder for as you said like you know the the water base in Bangladesh right as they move into these uh, elections so my question was around, you know, the use of media narratives and conspiracy theories uh, okay. to sort of, you yeah. know, show the government in, in, in sort of a good light. And okay. was the Digital Security Act, for instance, uh, played yeah. into this, uh, played into the hands of the opposition parties and, and other opposing viewpoints?
0: Yes, Carl, um, as you're we just discussing, you know, uh, because the government, this particular party has been in the government for so long, they've been obviously able to hold, you know, wield a lot of influence over institutes and organizations within the polity. And quite naturally so, there is huge pro-government uh, media houses who've been influenced to kind of spread a particular narrative, which is quite opposite and different from what the opposition and many other political parties think. The Digital Security Act, of course, has, you know, put the fear of God, whatever, as you see it in uh, Bangladesh. They've also, I mean, over the years, we've seen how many voices who are uh, differing from the government has been silenced in many ways. That's, of course, in the media houses, there've been some recent, you know, uh, backlash against a particular very very i think the most popular media house in bangladesh and it's very respected uh, editor has, was also targeted and you know these are something that i've as i said i've been watching bangladesh closely for almost three decades now and the kind of fear that i see um, emanating there I, ha- I haven't seen this before so what they've essentially done is now and of course alongside you've seen how united states has been very very critical about the elections, which don't seem so free and fair. And they have insisted that uh, the next election should be held in a more credible manner. And they've also, because of that, warned that uh, visa sanctions will be in place. You also recall a few, um, maybe a year or so ago, Rapid Action Mm -hmm. Battalion Force, which is brought in place, uh, uh, you know, to address their internal security issues, uh, has been, you know, misused largely. I mean, often we've seen extrajudicial processes being in place. And uh, USA had targeted some of the officials who were part of the RAP and, you know, imposed visa sanctions on them. So now, this time round, there has been this particular, you know, Episode again where uh, US again has insisted that they will not uh, go easy on this particular warning. And uh, Bangladesh, of course, uh, the Prime Minister in the parliament has said something to the tune of that we don't need uh, US visas. And, you know, she's had some very strong uh, condemnation about how, uh, you know, US is uh, imposing its will on Bangladesh, so to say. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. she has been, and not only the you know, the leaders of the government, several of the political party, they've been constantly referring to this particular aspect as to how the, the, the media houses or, you know, particular voices who don't agree with her apparently are part of this uh, US, you know, kind of a thread mm-hmm. where they all want to see her being removed, something like that. And that's a strong narrative that the pro-government uh, media houses are building. And as I said, the mm-hmm. other side of the, you know, voices are being stifled. We are not hearing them very clearly. But on the ground, it's a fact that the other, you know, there is a strong voice that's emanating. But at the same time, I think every political party in Bangladesh would want to see free and fair elections. And I've actually, in some of my earlier works, have actually argued that if bangladesh saw free and fair elections given the fact that the opposition right now isn't really very strong because we know the opposition leader which is am referring to bnp uh, Khalidazia is very unwell on, and also she's unable to uh, you know contest the elections because of the corruption charges that were labeled against her her son is actually in fact is uh, sitting outside bangladesh uh, won't be able to enter uh, bangladesh and not face those similar corruption charges so yeah. they is a bit of leadership crisis going on at bnp and but at the same time i have argued that given some of the positive developments that we've seen over the last decade and more but awami league probably had a very fair chance of coming back to power but you know the recent political developments that we see is kind of worrisome i would say
1: Pardon? Uh, Dr. Sriradha, just uh, finally wanted to understand a little bit about the regional and international dynamics that are also at play here. Uh, So what do you think are the factors that influence, uh, you know, the interests of countries like India and China, uh, for that matter, uh, in the political trajectory of of Bangladesh, right? Uh, So how do you summarize, uh, you know, the international dynamics, right, uh, that this election is going to bring about?
0: In fact, you know, I mean, this is probably a good time to pitch a book that I'm doing a edited volume under the ages of the um, ISAS NUS, about how the world looks at Bangladesh just now. So it's in the process of publication Mm -hmm. will take a few months to be out. But it's it's something which actually Mm -hmm. captures this particular uh, aspect that you're saying. At the regional Mm -hmm. level, as you know, India and Bangladesh are poised at the best of times. We've never had something as as a robust relationship as we enjoy now. We've also we've known that right from the inception of Bangladesh, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman and Indira Gandhi, India's Prime Minister at that first time, enjoyed a kind of friendship which is iconic. But the kind of, you know, relationship, the bilateral ties that Bangladesh and India enjoy is completely, you know, unprecedented. It's absolutely it covers from defence to every aspect that one mm-hmm. can think of on bilateral terms. And most importantly, and I think we must note this very carefully is when Sheikh Hasina came to power in 2008 and took over in 2009 and even before India and Bangladesh signed any joint communique which is done in 2010 Sheikh Hasina very very strongly addressed many of India's security concerns. We know that for very long uh, there were plenty of anti-India activities that were going on from Bangladeshi soil. And no amount of, you know, evidences and documents from India to Bangladesh government at that point of time was holding, you know, any amount of influence at that point of time. But after Sheikh Hasina took over, she has completely changed that. And we've seen beginning with that joint communique that India and Bangladesh signed in 2010 and India, offered its first lines of credit of 1 billion, which has now gone up to 7.8 billion. But the two relations share an incredibly robust relationship. There's no two ways about that. On the other front, if you know, and again, uh, you know, given the fact that international community attention is so much on in the Indo-Pacific just now, Bangladesh. Sitting on the cusp of the Bay of Bengal is also a very important player. I mean, in terms of his geographical position, in terms of the fact that it was one of the, as I think just a year and a half ago it was said it was one of the fast four, uh, you know, four fastest Asian uh, nations in in the Asia. So at that, you know, in that sense, Bangladesh was obviously, you know, doing politically very well, economically very, very well. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, as I said, a lot of countries have uh, reached out to Bangladesh in the last few years. Bangladesh has established very strong bilateral ties both in the region. In fact, uh, even when Sri Lanka was going through economic crisis, Bangladesh one of, of the few nations in South Asia who lent uh, were able to you know support them in some way or the other. So obviously, there is a different Bangladesh that is emerging. We've seen very strong relationship with. European nations with the you know, US and, of course, Middle Eastern countries, including you know Singapore and Southeast Asia and other countries. So Bangladesh has certainly become a very much active partner yeah. in South Asia at this point of time. But I mean, it's also yeah. a fact that India is very comfortable working with this particular government, because as I said, this government understands many of India's outstanding concerns and has been able to address it very robustly, which no yeah. other government of Bangladesh had earlier done.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Dr. Sriradha, I don't know many people who can fit in an entire political history of uh, Bangladesh in a matter of 20 minutes, but uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, your book, uh, especially since it tackles international dimensions of uh, what happens uh, in Bangladesh. So thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank
0: you, Carl, so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you. at takshashila inst or our website takshashila.org.in